Hey, look at us. We're back for two weeks in a row. It's almost like it's a professional show. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this is Connect This. We're going to be talking about Maine. We're going to be talking about uh, campaigns to encourage people to keep the monopoly that they don't love. And uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, I don't know, whatever folks in the chat room want to push us toward. So this is your incentive to, to come and do that pushing. Uh, we're going to be doing it today with uh, one of our, our favorite repeat guests, Peggy Schaefer, the director of the Connect Maine Authority, and a woman who's nearly a free agent. 24 hours. And, and Peggy has come. I don't get fired. I, get, I retire. <laughs> right, you didn't plan on that. <laughs> the, uh, Peggy's connection is struggling from time to time, although she is on a cable connection uh, and uh, not the Starlink connection, which we have understood before has sometimes had some glitches. But frankly, we yearn for the reliability of Starlink right now when it comes to some of the cable networks in Maine. Um, yeah. We also have uh, not going anywhere, Andrew Butcher, <laughs> president of the Maine Connectivity Authority. I came up with that. You didn't say that. So if you quit tomorrow, I'm going to look really dumb. No, 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 no plans on that. Uh, you know, so, someone's got to pick up the uh, 400,000 emails that Peggy responds to in under 24 hours. Yes, no doubt. Although um, I, I like to think Maine will still be responding to some folks, uh, that Peggy will still be responding to some folks. <laughs> um, we have uh, been there, done that. Travis Carter, welcome. Mr. Mitchell, how are you today, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I've decided to tag myself the I should have retired five years ago, Chris Mitchell. Well, or the constant house projects, Chris Mitchell. So what, what are you working on today? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm getting ready exactly. to go camping today. <laughs> nice. Now, my son's bedroom looks like a normal room again and not a construction zone. Uh, paint is on the walls, but I still have to wire the ceiling fan um, and get that all worked out um as well as some other stuff that i don't want to do oh, um, oh and let's not forget the current high score in adam's family pinball here at the house so i've yeah. struggled to even get halfway to you you're i see where <laughs> you're, i see where your college days were utilized at so <laughs> those were uh those were good years um so uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about maine quite a bit and um we're not gonna start there um, we're actually gonna start in Iowa, but we are going to, uh, come back to talk and we'll help to de, uh, um, demystify the difference between the main connectivity authority and the, uh, connect main authority, uh, both of whom have done frankly, great work. I, I think maybe Maine is just spoil is just, a. um, is being really greedy with having great agencies uh, working on broadband, uh, other states don't have talent. You have two and other states have none in some cases. <laughs> so although I had a great conversation this morning with uh, my my uh, my colleague Deanne Cuellar and uh, Greg Conti from the state uh, broadband office of uh, the state broadband development office of Texas. Uh, and that's going to be a podcast uh, either next week or the following week, Travis. So um, Travis gave me a little bit of attitude for not doing a podcast this week. And uh, a little sketchy lately, the number we get, you know, you used to have a nice yeah. routine going there on Tuesday. Yeah. It was a lot of years where I really made sure we had one every week, and now um, yeah. I've fallen off the horse. 
Uh, now, now you're such a big celebrity now. You don't need to get out as many. <laughs> that is definitely not it. It has much more to do with my son's room. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the uh, this week was an interesting week. Travis went to a conference organized by a friend of the show, uh, Jay Hankey, a peering conference in Iowa. What? What was we're not going to for people who are new to the show? We're not going to spend a while talking about this, but I, I'm I'm oh, really curious what the yeah. what the word on the street was. Uh, you know, the hot topics at the Midwest Peering uh, Summit, which, by the way, is the first one in a couple of years. Uh, I'm really surprised how many of the carriers and ISPs are really uh, adopting 400 gigabit uh, on their backbones. That was an interesting piece. Why well, is it interesting? Well, I didn't think they'd get there that fast. Okay. Right? Because consumption is up. You know, the utilization is so high across these networks that we're starting to, you know, we're starting to saturate 100 gig links. So 400 gig is becoming a real thing now. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is, even though I talk about speed being a topic there, a lot of topic in latency is really the thing. Not so much, you know, how much, you know, everyone's able to, you know, more or less give a gig on their fiber networks to customers. Now it's all about how, reduction of latency and how more open people are appearing with each other. So it was a very interesting conference. Des Moines is actually a very nice town. I wasn't, I didn't appreciate it as much until this time being there. So. Oh yeah. Uh, Des Moines is a great town. They got a uh, Drake universities down there hosts wonderful. Yeah. Uh, they got the Drake relays. Great, great. Uh, I'm sure you weren't a, a track enthusiast, Travis, in your, your you know, I'm a real fitness guy. So um, no, uh, shout out to Jay. Well done. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy to pull off a, you know, a, a little uh, a show like that, and uh, so well done. Hope he hope he does it next year. Yeah, and I hope that I'm able to attend it. Um, the uh, the latency and jitter thing. I think I've been uh, I've been saying this uh, recently. We talked about it a little bit last week, I think, and I think Peggy's experiencing this right now, right? Like Peggy, what would you rather have another hundred megabits or uh, a greater reliability right now? Hmm. Well, I'd like it to be. I'd like it to be reliable. Right, I'd like not to have it. I, I, I couldn't have been better timed. The latency and jitter there could it have been. Chris? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, uh, I'm hoping that this will resolve itself. Uh, I have, I have uh, two colleagues in Maine, and uh, um, both of them, I believe, on Charter Spectrum, and uh, neither one of them has what I would call a reliable connection. One of them is worse than the other. The one in Portland, actually. Um, so I hope that uh, Peggy's connection will uh, sort itself out a little bit. Um, the uh, I, I do want to raise an issue. Maybe we'll, we'll, we're not going to talk about it here, but like New Hampshire considered giving cities the and towns the ability to bond for uh, networks. Uh, right now, they can only borrow using their local borrowing authority if, it, if it's to build in an unserved area. And they considered um, allowing towns to put on their big boy plants and make some uh, decisions themselves, but ultimately decided not to. So uh, nonetheless, this progress that it came up and it was a real debate. Uh, so. Um, I don't know if there's any any local insight on that, Andrew. Or, yeah. Not so much local insight in New Hampshire um, on that front, but I, I will also say, you know, Peggy, I can I can hear Fletcher Kittredge like shouting from Biddeford that you know our our broadband utility districts can can do that too. Um, and while it is it's it's not the preferred practice, and in fact, many need some support to be able to get there. Um, you know, our, our buds can, can, can embrace that as well. And I, I don't know, maybe there's lessons to be learned from New Hampshire. It'd be fun to pull 
Mark or someone else uh, from New Hampshire into that conversation. So you're saying that um, the the you're you can these districts can uh, which in fact I think we already have some news that um, Searsmont, Maine um, approved uh, joining uh, one of these broadband utility districts, um, and that is uh, a, a, a joint authority that can uh, borrow money on its own. Wow, uh, really good work to the production team here um, in uh, queuing up. Uh, the bud vote from Searsmont um, right on cue. That, that's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, I, typically, I typically listen to this show. By the way, I, I have to say, uh, I listen to this and your podcast only when I'm running. Um, it's like the best way for me to consume information. So I'm like having a little bit of like a weird physical reaction of just sitting and watching. <laughs> Um, and I've never actually really been able to like watch a full production. So I'm very impressed. Yes. I, I very much sympathize with you on that. Except Andrew watched last week's episode. There was something different last week. I don't remember what it was, Chris. Do you? Uh, yeah, we had a, we had a guy in charge who clearly was out of his element. <laughs> <laughs> We're very glad that Rye is back. Thanks um, Rye for coming back. Yes. Uh, so something I quickly threw in, just because I when I mentioned it to you, Travis, it surprised you. But today, Comcast announced it lost subscribers, and it is the first time in the history of Comcast offering broadband that they did not grow their subscriber base uh, over a quarter. Um, so that is something that that happened, and I believe that uh, it's commonly known that uh, July is, uh, is a hard month. And so expectations are that they may not grow in the next uh, period either, uh, which is an interesting time. It's a suggestion that in many areas there's some saturation and, and more fierce competition. I, I would assume that they're starting to see, you know, Verizon, et cetera, they're really turning up the heat uh, and promoting their home internet. So I'm, I'm assuming people are trying that. So they they did in some of the investor discussion, from what I could tell, there's a discussion that some of the losses and and they, they, I don't think their losses have changed as much, and the churn is lower than it used to be. But uh, the um, uh, they are um, struggling to pull over as more as many DSL folks as they used to. I think more DSL folks are going to fiber and uh, fixed wireless. And just as a fun note. The uh, apparently I hadn't seen this before, but Charter Spectrum um, calls fixed wireless a parking lot for future cable subscribers. <laughs> they assume people will go to fixed wireless, maybe on some sort of temporary deal, um, and then come back over. And, and in part because in their mind, their cable network is better than the fixed wireless. But as we've talked before, like if I had a choice between taking Peggy's connection or any connection that open broadband does on an unlicensed wireless connection in North Carolina, I'd be using that wireless boy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, the charter has some expectations about it's interesting when you look through what their CEO says, right? He's essentially has said um, nobody's going to need a symmetrical. Nobody needs nobody's going to need a symmetrical uh, service for at least a couple of years, which translates to as soon as we can figure out how to do it, people are going to need it. Right. That's essentially his message. Um, and the fact that he thinks that wireless is, um, you know, there's. We have a lot of, there's a number of us in Maine on, on this cable connection, and we have a lot of calls, right? A lot of Zoom calls. And it is not infrequent that most of us have to have our video off so we can have a conversation about what's going on. Otherwise, you just, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. So, you know, it's, cable connection isn't that great. I, 
It's just not. Well, it can be. And that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, I feel like I'm on a cable connection and the thing works super well. In fact, it's probably more reliable in my neighborhood than some fiber connections are from some companies that haven't done a great job. And yet, if if you go one, but even within St. Paul, if you travel one mile in a couple of different directions, you'll probably find a much less reliable, same company, right? It's the same contractors that built it 30 years ago, but uh, that's the nature of it, I think. Um, so I want to talk about Maine. Let's dig into Maine. Um, one of the so Maine has done done, done so many things right, and um, and uh, one of the things that they've done right is they're running you out of town, Peggy. I think that's pretty smart at this yeah, point. Yeah. They've you've given all that you can give. <laughs> So let's just note Peggy's retiring and that sucks. So um, Peggy, you're retiring uh, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Congratulations on a great run. Anything you want to say? You know, um, I think that uh, things are, I think that we got made in a good place. Um, I know that there are a lot of other States who are, who are scrambling to get this place, but I think, you know, I think that um, we've created a really great team. I mean, we did this, workshop with you a couple of weeks ago or a month ago now, we call it main secret sauce. And I think that's the secret to our, that's, it is the secret. This is a team. Um, and it's really great that Andrew's come on board. He was, he was part of the main broadband coalition. He's um, been poaching staff from other team members right along the le- right and left. So he's got a, he's got a phenomenal team. Um, and one of the things that Maine has absolutely right, right. Is that we've created these, uh, these authorities that we're not, we don't live within state government. We live outside of state government. To, uh, we're sort of a quasi connected. And that allows us a level of freedom of movement that you often don't get in state government. And one of those freedom of movements is to be able to hire people when you need them, right? You don't have to go to the legislature and get a headcount. We can hire them when we need them. And the result is that Andrew's really been able to staff up quickly, which is a huge advantage for the amount of work that needs to get done to implement the connect the um, capital projects fund and all of the all of the infrastructure funds, the digital equity money and the bead money and all the other stuff that we're already doing, right? So we're very fortunate to have what we have. I agree. Now, um, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I, I, Chris, this is where I need to say that Peggy is also being far too humble um, and certainly appreciate the team orientation. And, you know, I think Peggy knows that most of us wouldn't be here without her. Um, and on the shoulders of giants, we all stand. But, you know, I think it's really important. I mean, everybody who works with Peggy knows this already, but it's really important to know that Peggy lives and operates in a different space-time continuum. Like, (laughs) we, uh, you know, we've been really fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to create interesting job opportunities and, and recruit and pull excellent talent. And we now have an amazing team that is, like, really just getting into gear. We're only a couple months old. Um, and you know, 12 of us probably are going to be able to do what Peggy and another team member, Stephanie McLagan have been doing for a couple of years. Right. So like, I don't know how Peggy responds to the level of correspondence with the level of detail that she does, but she operates in a different space time continuum. So, you know, Peggy, you're being far too humble. Well, I think the main broadband coalition is truly remarkable. And I've, I've long thought that it has uh, um, a lot of folks that really seem to contribute, but those things don't just pop into existence. Like lots of states have lots of people that are doing really great work, but they don't have any kind of group like that, that actually meets and um, has someone like Peggy corralling them. And so that's yet another thing that I would add on to that. Um, 
So I think that's enough saying anything nice about anyone that I interact with. Um, let's talk. Let's talk for a second just about uh, how Maine goes about this. So Peggy, you mentioned this, and I and I feel like people don't always get it the first time. I like to re reinforce it. You have two state authorities, and a state authority is something that is still you know infused with public spirit and supposed to be focused on the public good, but is not encumbered by all of the things that states have to do. There's some flexibility around hiring and contracting, and that's sort of a thing. So you were first with the Connect Main Authority. Just tell us a little bit about, and, and not a long history lesson, but just like, you know, the, the one minute sketch of like, where did that come from? And yeah. um, and why so, didn't you do your job good enough that they had to create a second one? <laughs> well, there's a couple of there's a dark, dark secrets there. No. Um, so what um, Connect Main was created in 2007. And Maine has a long history of these uh, uh, quasi-public authorities, where we have a finance authority, we have port authorities, we have a turnpike authority. So we have a, a, a lot-based closure authorities. We have a lot of these authorities. This is a model that we like in Maine for very good reasons, right? Because it, it's flexible. It allows you to do the work that we need to do. Um, so we were created in 2007. We have not had a lot of money. We were funded with a small assessment that over the last couple of years, we've um, increased a lot, right? So we've gone from about a million dollars a year. I think we're going to be close to 3 million this year. So that's a big deal. Um, and that's, so we, they did mostly infrastructure grants for a while. And quite frankly, the board was a little out front, even now, even then, you know, we changed our build standard to 1010 in 2015. And that was actually in Maine, a result of the industry in Maine, our small, especially our small ISPs, we're building fiber to the home. They were already doing it. They already figured out it was cheaper to operate, easier to run. And so they were already doing it. So, you know, we've been we've been with the industry. I think that's a really important point for people to understand. They think people think that Maine is out in front of the industry. We are not. This is this is a partnership with the industry. The industry is with us every step of the way, and so are the communities. And that's a really important piece. Um, and we added community planning in about 2015. We have, I don't know, 300 odd towns that have been engaged in that. And that has been a significant lift for us, really, to both do the work and the, and the, um, the, the challenges it provides for how we think about this work has been really, it's, it's expanded how we do the work in a really great way so that community voices are the driving force. Because this is, I mean, this is people's infrastructure, right? Um, and so I think that that is the one of the strong pieces that we've had in place and is going to is going to continue over to the main connectivity authority. And we're always fixing it. Right. It's never perfect. Everything we do is never perfect. It's a continual evolution and learning. And that's one of the things that we've embraced. Right. We, every people drives people crazy. But every round we do something a little different because we learned something from the last round that we want to fix this time. So. Now, uh, Andrew, where does the main connectivity authority fit in then? Um, so um, based upon that work and that iteration, one of the things that um, the broadband coalition really focused on so I, the last couple of years was when Peggy got appointed to the Connect Main Authority, um, uh, I was grateful to be able to plug in with the broadband coalition and continue growing programming activities and focusing on advocacy efforts. And one of the things we collectively did is work with our legislature and thinking about some of the challenges and constraints and what the state could do and recognizing, you know, we really need the ability to be more proactive and to de deploy a, a broader array of financing tools. And so we, we collectively mapped out 
um, had a, a high-ranking uh, Republican state senator uh, put forward a bill to create the Maine Connectivity Authority as a even more proactive quasi-governmental agency, which was approved through almost unanimous uh, support throughout both chambers um, and created last summer. And so the intent for the Connectivity Authority was, you know, is, is even further outside. We're not, I'm not a government, I'm not a state government employee. Um, we are a quasi-governmental agency. We do need to report out to the legislature, but we can develop our own bonds. Um, we can proactively make investments. We can take equity investments in infrastructure. Um, and we also have the ability, as Peggy mentioned, to be able to hire outside of state procurement process, which is really big when you think about and being able to step up to the opportunity right now. So in addition to starting, so I was hired, uh, I was, you know, I was hired by an independent board of directors who are nominated by the governor. And then I was nominated and approved by the state legislature. Um, my job as employee number one was to like open a bank account and figure out how to pay myself and you know all the startup things and rapidly scale up to be able to be in position to do all of the work that we need to do um, and so what we've done is we've also sprinkled a little organizational merger into the mix because hey why not and so because you know the community doesn't need two agencies to go to with different policies and so I, I think to, to Peggy and the Connect Maine board's credit and the M Maine Connectivity Authority board's credit, we've spent the last couple months mapping out an integration strategy. Um, and what Peggy, a month ago, the boards voted collectively to essentially integrate the agencies such that Connect Maine's responsibilities are assigned to the Connectivity Authority. Um, and so now there's really a single door solution with the Connectivity Authority picking up the responsibilities that Connect Maine had around community planning, data collection, um, and uh, community capacity building. And so that's all sort of part and parcel of what the Connectivity Authority will be doing moving forward. So you're just basically going to build a massive empire. Why don't you uh, buy the electric grid as well, since that's up for uh, discussion in Maine? <laughs> you know, it's a super easy conversation in Maine. Yeah, why, why not? Um, no, I mean, I think uh, I think what is clear and, you know, um, is and Peggy's you know, made this point in the past, you know, when, when you don't have money, you do all of the planning and the key to planning is the process. And, you mm -hmm. know, like broadband is no different than any other community development efforts, engaged, equipped communities uh, drive decision making. They represent actual take rate, but they really drive decision making. And so you invest in that process and it creates the opportunity for partnerships. Um, and that action begets an upward spiral of action. Um, and so, you know, there is that sort of, there is that, that fodder to be able to work with. And, you know, I think what has not been, what has been challenging is that we haven't had the ability as a state to say, you know what, these are the eligible areas. These are the priorities that we want to address. And these are the investments and the partnerships we're going to try to facilitate. And so, um, you know, I think it's a balance for us as we both be more proactive and emphasize a, an inclusive community-driven approach. Yeah, and I, I feel comfortable teasing you because I think that you all are doing such a such good work. Uh, I want to recognize one other entity that I think has been involved with that and uh, just get a, uh, we can't go in depth on it, but uh, but AARP, uh, I think, has done um, really important work. And my organization, we've been working with AARP on broadband for the past year, a number of their offices on it. And I, um, I've i just really come to appreciate what the main folks have done. And, and we want to we want to highlight some of that. So let me ask you to start, Peggy. Just, just tell us a couple of the things that AARP yeah. has done to help out. 
so part of our we what well, part of what we learned with community planning is it takes it, it's a it's a support system you have to create for communities. So this past year we created um, a whole variety of support systems. One is what we call the community practice, which is essentially the people who lead these broadband uh, committees in their towns meet together once a month to talk about opportunities, challenges, learnings. And that's been really helpful. Um, we also have a group that we call community boosters, which is funding that we put forward to help actually give stipends to people to to do this work, right? I mean, you know, you pay engineers, we should pay volunteers. So we have we have stipends to help pay people to help communities move forward. And then the last one is this group called Community Connectors, and this is an AARP initiative. And so they've recruited people across the state and helped train them to both work in the communities with their community um, activists, as well as to write letters to the editor and to contact legislators and that is really helpful. They were a big help when we had a we had a public bond issue in 2020, and um, they sent out essentially instructions about how to do videos, right? And so all these AARP people were stand up in their backyard and talk about why they need broadband, and it was very effective. And the the engagement of those people. And I have a, a community connected here in my town who's starting up the the town broadband committee, um, and it's it's just it's an additional voice. And it's great to have an organization like AARP understand the importance of broadband, especially high quality broadband to their members, and then engage their members in that organizing activity. Anything you, you want to add, Andrew? Yeah, just a, a couple of quick things, because you know, I, um, uh, it was a really big deal when uh, the main chapter for AARP joined on, signed on with the Broadband Coalition. Um, and it made a huge difference. They uh, they sponsored a really important poll that informed how we structured the language for Maine's first public bond, a $15 million bond that was approved in 2020. They completely mobilized their networks um, in advocacy and support of that bond and the campaign leading up to it. Um, and they've been a really key sponsor and partner in promoting the Maine speed testing initiative. You know, Maine's one of the states embracing a crowdsourcing speed testing initiative. And, you know, I think, Peggy, I think, don't we have the oldest population per capita in the country? Yes. I mean, there's yes. a, um, old. there a lot of people have moved to Maine and are getting old here. Um, and so AARP is a really important force. And so as a result, you know, we've got like, 38,000 speed tests and AARP has regularly promoted it. And I think many of those are due to their network and the, the, the support and resources they, they put into promoting it. Yeah, I, think, I don't know, Travis, if you've ever come across this, but here in Minnesota, there's this sense that people retire and then they move to Florida or they travel to Arizona in the, in the, in the winters. I, some of you do that before you retire, I realize, Travis. Mm -hmm. um, but 90% of Minnesotans retire here. And I'm guessing that's probably pretty similar out there in Maine, too. We've had a big, a big influx um, of people. You know, I don't I don't have data on it, but there you can tell there's an influx of people who as a result of the pandemic, have decided to work from home. You know, it's their final whatever, five or six years. They're going to work from home and then retire here. And um, it it makes a significant difference for them to move here if they have a high quality connection. And ARP has recognized that not just for people to work, but also healthcare and, you know, contacting their family and getting engaged in community activities. All the reasons that we know people need broadband, ARP has been right on it. They understand it completely as a as a critical piece to their membership. 
Yeah, and that's why I think it's so encouraging, Chris, that they're working with you all too, because I think for an organization with the reach, I mean, they're, they're, the, the depth of their reach with communities is really profound. And for an organization like that to recognize the importance of um, high-speed internet to enable aging in place um, and their overall strategy around livability, I think that's a really, really important um, statement and recognition of you know how to support broadband development in places where it might not happen otherwise. Yeah, I think as we as we move into this issue with this group, the Alliance for Quality Broadband, which uh, has been opposing a lot of efforts to improve access in in Maine, uh, it is worth noting that I actually think that they had at one point claimed to have support from uh, Tennessee AARP, and um, and when AARP found out about it, they said no, 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 no. <laughs> No. They tried to recruit them in Maine too, and where it, it flow, fell pretty flat. Yes, uh, but at one point, and, and Doug, I think, had pointed this out to me. Um, but the AQB, or else one of the sister campaigns similar to it, actually had an AARP logo as part of it for justification, and it turned out that they were using that inappropriately. Uh, they did not have the support yes. of that group. Yeah. Um, so, um, Travis, when you hear the Alliance for is it is it Alliance? It's Alliance, right? Alliance for Quality Broadband. Um, what what do you think? What, what's the first thing that pops in your head when you just hear the group's name? I, you know, I, I don't know. I've got I've got a, a thousand questions like normal, but um, you know, I was I'm very intrigued to hear. So, Andrew, I guess the question I have for you is, and maybe this is not to answer your question, Chris. Is, no, go ahead. You can hijack yeah. the show. So, are you required to re up every four years during election cycles, or are you operating more as an independent organization? Um, the answer to that question is yes. And, okay. you know, he's, he's a, he has a term. That's okay. showbiz. That's showbiz. Um, no, I'm no, just the, curious. The, uh, no, so, so, um, there's a term, um, but I am the intent also of the main connectivity authority was to be relatively insulated from political process. So, um, I am to be, uh, reapproved on a four year term basis. Um, but, um, you know, it's not like a change in administration would directly impact who's running the agency and or the rest of the staff, which is, I think, a really important thing in being able to, you know, set a, a, a data-driven, practically-oriented set of policy and funding. I, I commend whoever set that up. Yes, that, yeah. that's a great structure. Yeah, my, my position, I am a state employee, but my position is appointed. So if a governor come in, came in, I don't, I don't have a term if a new governor comes in, they could get rid of me because I'm in a pointed position. So. Okay. Okay. I guess I'm just curious, what is the core mission then? Is it to be a finance arm for other internet providers to build your own network? I'm just curious, you know, fundamentally what it is. Yeah, sure. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm sorry. I like jumped right into talking about mechanics and our relationship. No, I should have agencies. asked you about that, but I've, since I knew it, I just figured everyone else does. That's, I, 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 I always make that assumption. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the, the answer to that, Travis, is that, you know, like fundamentally to ensure and establish affordable, reliable, uh, universal broadband service for everyone in Maine. Um, okay. Right. Like that's that's really what it boils down to, you know, and, and the sort of specific nuance to it. You know, there's in Maine and probably like other places like Minnesota, you know, there's 
the challenge of, you know, you're driving down a dirt road and you're trying to get to where you want to go. And, um, you know, you stop and you ask for directions and, you know, you ask somebody like, well, how do I get to there? And the response is, well, you can't, you can't get that from here. Um, and you know, like, where do you go with that? So the, the fundamental mission and purpose of the main connectivity authority is to emphasize that we can get there from here. Um, but unlike to, some other state offices, like you don't just distribute money, you can actually do things with the money as well and take equity positions is one of the things that you said, which I think is pretty unique. We, we can, right? So by statute, by design, we can, we can float a bond. Um, you know, at the, at the moment, uh, the majority of our, the majority of our focus is, you know, how we, you know, are stewards of and deploy, uh, you know, federal recovery and relief funds, which don't allow for equity investments um, and limit our ability to even develop things like a revolving loan fund, which, you know, is something that we hear from our ISPs. It would actually be a really welcome introduction into the local capital stack. Um, but if I could, if I could interrupt for a second, I think just this is again stuff I think you swim in, so you're familiar with it. But you know, um, this is where I provide a little bit of value to Travis to justify all of the the food that he buys me and lets me play his pinball machines. Um, <laughs> you know, like a lot of government offices, they have money and it, it gets appropriated to them, and it runs out, and they might have to just lay everyone off if they don't have any more money. Maine has more flexibility in, in the Maine Connectivity Authority in that it could um, seek its own borrowing, but like the Minnesota broadband office cannot like under no, there's no situation in which you can just go out and borrow money. Well, and what's interesting is, is the main connectivity authority can take an equity position in a private company. Is that what I'm understanding? Or a network, right? If they wanted to build a, a network, network, they could take an equity position in a network. And you can yeah. borrow bond dollars and in theory loan them to operators. Yep. Let's, uh, I mean, great question. Um, we, yeah, we, we, we have not been able to really even begin, begin to evaluate that kind of opportunity. So yeah, I feel like if, if, I'm, if I'm reading your reaction, great, Andrew, you're like, you're like, I've got hundreds of millions of dollars to figure out what I'm doing with before right. I start figuring out how to be cute. Right. <laughs> no, 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 but, but the reality is the ISP, the feedback he's getting from ISP is if they were able to borrow money from the authority and maybe their financial model doesn't always allow them to borrow from traditional lenders, but then, and they can deploy that capital to build out high quality networks. That's a, that's a genius model. Well, it would be, it is something that we are really eager to pursue. And, and I wish I was smart enough to even want to be cute about it. I mean, fortunately, uh, you know, we've hired a really good CFO who is very eager to pursue that kind of strategy. The, the challenge is, is that essentially, I mean, there's a lot of great things about the American Rescue Plan Fund. Um, the reality of it is that the general message as it pertains to creative financing and equity investments is don't go chasing waterfalls. You know, like we, we, we can't really use the funding, which is our primary source of funding right now to even begin to evaluate that. And as a new agency, we actually need to spend our time, Travis, building out our balance sheet, which, you know, not to get too in the weeds on it, but that is one of the most strategic and important things that Peggy and I and our boards have embraced is that, you know, like the Connect Main, Connect Main is supported through an assessment fee. That assessment fee creates a really important flexible funding mechanism. And so it also, by the integration of our agencies, allows for the connectivity authority to actually build out our balance sheet so that we can pursue those kind of creative financing. 
Chris, I'm sorry. I just put like the majority of the audience to sleep. I'm really no, sorry. no. I mean, and, but this is this. Travis loves talking about this stuff, and this is the stuff that actually no, this, this matters. This is the real stuff that operators face. You know, if because if you've got 200 million to spend, and let's just say in theory you could leverage that three to one through your ISP partners, you really have 600 million to play with, and that can make a significant, you know, dent in 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 the in the uh, in in the issue. So yeah. I'm I'm gonna say that this is a conversation that could really continue and be interesting, but it's not the one we intended to have. And I'm gonna jump over to that one now, and I'm gonna bring in Krista Thorpe, uh, who is the um, community development officer at the Island Institute. And Island Institute is a group that just has done a wonderful job of advocating for its uh, island folks on uh, on broadband. So welcome, Krista. Thanks, Chris. Um... Yeah, I'm Krista Thorpe, and as Chris mentioned, I've been working with Maine communities on broadband planning for the past four years in my role at Island Institute. Uh, we're a member of the Maine Broadband Coalition, and we're a nonprofit that was founded in 1983, focusing on sustaining Maine's year-round island and coastal communities. Um, so if it's all right, I'd love to share just a story today. Um, Wait, can I say something oh, first? Yep. Um, so I just want to say, like, I feel like I first met um, people from the Island Institute, uh, maybe on the order of eight or nine years ago. I don't know. It could be plus or minus a hundred years at this point. They, um, and, and, and it was a sort of thing where I saw a lot of excitement about getting involved in broadband and I seen that in other organizations and then they're like, Oh, you know what, but it's really hard and we got other things to do and this and that. And I've just been really impressed with how the Island Institute has stuck with it over the years and made things happen. So kudos to you. A lot of folks yep. have tried, not everyone has succeeded. I'll say it's uh, a lot easier when you got good friends around and um, the Maine Broadband Coalition uh, has made it, yeah, just as a really, it's a productive space to be involved in as someone who's just employed um, as, you know, in, in my role, I feel like we're getting stuff done. Um, yeah. And the reason we're getting stuff done is because we're doing it um, in partnership with a lot of other organizations and the communities, um, which, yeah, are at the center of it for us. Excellent. So, so uh, jump on in. Why do we have you here today? Um, yeah, well, what Island Institute uh, focuses on island and coastal communities. And in one of those communities, um, yeah, there's been stuff happening. The title of today's show, people know it. There's, there's campaigns, there's anti-municipal broadband stuff happening. And um, in the bridged island town of Southport, uh, where incidentally, some of my ancestors settled a few hundred years ago, um, they uh, they just had a vote take place a month ago, a month ago today, that shut down their municipal broadband project. Um, and there was uh, a whole bunch of stuff that, that led up to that, but part of it was um, an externally funded campaign that I know is part of what um, communities listening in are interested to hear more about today. And I know there are lots of main communities listening in. Yes. So this is this is what I was leaning into with the Alliance for Quality Broadband, which is the latest of a long series of front groups. I mean, this goes back more than 20 years in this field and frankly, um, hundreds of years uh, throughout. <laughs> um, uh, as governments had more power, there's been groups that have been coming around to try to shape how it's used. Um, this is a group that has a very strong interest in anti-government and uh, I guess a lot of its funding from both uh, directly from uh, companies like Charter Spectrum, as well as other big companies. Uh, and, and then those companies also fund other nonprofit organizations that then fund this group. But a lot of the money for these groups ultimately comes from the uh, companies that will benefit by, by convincing communities to do nothing 
on broadband. And uh, they've been uh, just running um, all kinds of flyers and uh, media campaigns to scare voters in, in a number of areas. And uh, we have a number of examples here. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you saw there. Some of these are from different cities. But if, Rye, if you want to throw them up on the screen, uh, we can talk about what um, voters are getting before referenda or city council meetings uh, or those sorts of um, uh, events. Yeah, uh, nice. Kristen, Kristen yeah, go ahead and get started, and then other we'll have Andrew and uh, and Peggy jump in too. Sure, I like I like that you have um, over on the right there is the Reed Reedfield ad um, because if you know you'd have to zoom way in, but they were the ads in Reedfield, which was also um, voting on municipal fiber project, were talking about Southport. They were like, hey, over in Southport, these petitioners just um, you know created a petition to stop the project. But then over in Southport, we're going to see some of their ads. And the ads said, hey, over in Reedfield, they just vote, you know, they're they're talking about voting to stop the project. So pitting communities against each other and then within the community really causing um, just fear and uh, mistrust of information. Um, you know, the get the facts thing, it's a lot about we have the facts, but um, but you can't trust your your town or your community or your broadband committee um, was really the message that we're most concerned about is that these committees have been working for years. I mean, Southport, since uh, we've been supporting them since 2017 um, in their process. And, and this is something where it's not just a matter of the occasional article. It's inundation is my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the amount that was spent on the Facebook ads in Reedfield, like in a week alone, uh, was equal to the um, multiple planning grants we had given Southport for three years of work. Um, so these committees don't have the funding to, you know, stand up equally um, to the inundation. They also don't have the sophistication, right? I mean, this it was... We, we saw it come in in Leeds and, and Leeds actually voted to do the, their own, build their own network. Um, and then Reedfield and Southport sort of happened at the same time. And it really was a very sophisticated um, campaign against those, uh, those, um, those votes. And, you know, it, it did, as, as Krista said, it called into question the people who've been working on this longest, people who've got the least at stake here, right? This is the selectmen and the broadband committee who in a room full of people who are, you know, being paid to get you to vote no, they're not getting paid to do anything, right? They really just want the better, the best for their community. Um, but they just, these, this ad things was incredibly sophisticated. Now we're going to be ready for them next time, right? We're really thinking about how we're going to do this, but it, it was a very sophisticated ad uh, both on the Facebook page and the and the flyers that got sent out. Right, and we're talking about uh, in, in Reedfield. I think you had shared that the ad was viewed was it fourteen thousand times or something. That's how much like that? money they spent in a oh. week on Facebook ads. But there's also there's this is a small town, and there was um, like um, uh, multiple thousands of impressions, if I remember yes. correctly, right? Yeah, yeah. So heavy, heavy um, targeting. And this is the sort of thing that we've seen before. I mean, some of the buzzwords, government-owned networks, uh, which, you know, is a, it's a word designed um, as opposed to, obviously, we talk about community networks. The only people that talk about government-owned networks are the, uh, the industry, 
Um, and they do that because they're trying to convince you that it's more like the federal government, which more people are, are disassociated with, frustrated with than their local governments, which they often have more uh, warm feelings for. And so, you know, we talk about community networks because that's what we actually want. None of us are advocating for the state of Maine to build a network in Reedfield. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. No, and I might add that the industry, we can't even necessarily blanket blanket the industry because um, this network, Southports, was going to be a, a public-private partnership with an internet service provider, a Maine-based provider called Axiom that has successfully employed this model on the Cranberry Isles and in other communities um, where the town owns the assets and they contract with the provider to build it, to operate it. And um, and yeah, the town has a revenue generating asset, but there is a public partner, there's local jobs. Uh, so that's that's part of the messaging that I know Maine Broadband Coalition and, and committees across the state are trying to um, just make sure we have those talking points down to because that that's an easy one to quash like government owned. I mean, what's water? What's sewage? What's what's what are the roads well, we, we plow in Maine? You know? Yeah, you know, Krista, it's 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 a really good point that you're you're bringing up because you know um it's it's not just the 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 tactics and the forcefulness of the information it's the um you know it's the incomplete and inaccurate information that's shared and in some ways the the real misrepresentation so you know as aqb stuff started ramping up and i was like who's really a part of this um and went and looked, I was like, wait a minute, like the Maine State Chamber of Commerce is like, should, has expressed an interest in a diversity of broadband operating models. The Portland Regional Chamber, like these chamber, the, the only local real affiliation of a nonpartisan nature were a couple of chambers of commerce, which like, like, you know, do these folks really understand because, you know, the, the inaccuracies of the information are pretty embedded in a lot of their content. And so, you know, the reality of it is like, I know the chambers are supportive of broadband. Do they understand what this campaign is about? And do they understand that they're being sort of put forward as a, a proxy for local backing and justification? And so, you know, I, I am really pleased that to Krista's point, you know, it's allowed the relationships and reason that we have in Maine have allowed for us to reach out directly to the chambers and say like do you understand what you're a part of and do you understand that you know you actually have members that are supportive of community-owned broadband and that are operators and employ people of community-owned broadband networks and you know i think to their credit they're trying really hard to um, find an alternative path and to remove themselves from the types of tactics that are being employed by aqb yeah, I one of the words that they use that uh, obviously focus tests well is duplicative, and uh, and Travis, I feel like you've you've talked about this before. This idea of like, all right, so you have a public-private partnership that's going to build a fiber network out to everyone. Is that really duplicative of a cable network that is is barely DOCSIS three that you know that 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 cuts out uh, reliably every hour? Uh, you know to have some of the of the of those issues around jitter uh, and uh, latency problems. Um, yeah, but but what they were saying there in that last uh, document was overbuilding on top of an already existing fiber network. And I don't know if that's true or not, yeah. but that's what the, that's no, what they said. They, they also said, and again, it's. They said 2.2 million. Chuck, 
Trevor, yeah. like, I just want to be clear. So Peggy and Chris are both like, no, it's not true. And I just want to make sure everyone got that. So what, <laughs> what happens is that Charter comes into the room and says, we have a lot of fiber. We have a lot of fiber. Mm -hmm. You don't, you're building over our fiber network. They, they don't, they run a coax network. It is not a fiber network. They have fiber backhaul just like everybody else. Right. But it is not a fiber to the home network. Um, and then they go on to say, despite the fact they have a lot of fiber, that you don't really need any more than 10 up, maybe, maybe 20 up. That's it. You don't need that. And so it, the campaign is built on um, with a hope that the community doesn't really understand what they're talking about. Right. And, and the, the, the opportunity that we've had that has been successful uh, is when the community really has been aggressive about explaining why they're doing a fiber network and that it really is a future proof network. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes the, the the philosophy about who should own this public infrastructure, who should own this infrastructure does come in. But mostly it's about, you know, we want to make sure that our town has the best infrastructure possible. Right. Because it's a it's a it's a future piece. Um, and cable is coming in and saying, you don't need that. You don't need that. Um, and that's part of the problem is the misinformation that they're giving to people and that what you have or what we have is good enough. Um, and that's all through the AQB uh, stuff they talk about. They actually have, they actually say no one needs more than 25.3. They say that in their, in their document, even though obviously the FCC is trying to move to something different. Um, and we've as state as a state have moved to something different and all of the federal funds have moved to something different. So they are, they are spinning an old yarn, um, which is no longer true. The other thing that yeah, was odd it only said 2.1 million. That doesn't build you very much fiber to the home. Well, you're talking but, about a few hundred homes. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I have no perspective on how big. That. Six hundred homes. Six hundred homes. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, and just for a scale, I mean, it's not a lot of money in um, in Minneapolis, but it's one of the more significant issues Again, I have that, no that these communities will have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I looked at the website and I was I. I stopped thinking about fiber and saw how beautiful their, their landscape was and the ocean. And I'm like, and we're, but anyways. Um, okay. So is there, is there a fiber network already there or no? Okay. No. And there are, I mean, through their, like the committee did their homework. And again, thanks to, to connect Maine and kind of giving community Island Institute, the community driven broadband process. We help these communities go through a roadmap so that when they reach their solution, their goal, um, they've done a survey, they've done a bunch of community information meetings and uh, a gap analysis, which showed that although on Southport, 21 homes were completely unserved and had been begging spectrum for years for service, the town had gotten involved um, through the franchise agreement, like there, they had been trying, um, but even beyond those 21 unserved, many more uh, through the survey and info processes expressed dissatisfaction with the cable service, which loses its oomph. Um, Travis, by the time you reach that beautiful Maine island in the middle of a beautiful Maine summer, and you've traveled all the way down a you know peninsula, and um, you're reaching the last mile. So, uh, so yeah, through that process. Um, there wasn't as much education as there could have been around fiber versus, you know, the committee did their best. They did, um, they put out a lot, but I think that that's just a broader education piece that um, communities listening in today uh, could have as a takeaway. So, so what yeah. happened? It looks like those votes were happening in June. What happened? Uh, yep. Um, it was close. It was a close vote. Um, so the vote to the project, they lost money. They they had already spent um, over 
half a million dollars on um, the fiber and um, equipment, they'll be able to recoup some of that. But they also lost um, nearly half a million dollars of grant money from the state that they had earned for the project. Let me jump in for a second, because Travis, you do this in your head well. But um, let's say Charter Spectrum is going to, because of a new investment from someone else, they're going to lose 200 customers in in a town. Uh, that's on the order of $100,000. Assume ARPU of 100 bucks per family, per, per household. Um, that ends up being about $100,000 a year of revenue, right? I mean, so for them, like, it makes a lot of sense to drop way more money in opposing this than uh, than any of their um, than any, it makes sense for anyone else to oppose. Like no one else has enough skin in the game to like to go dollar to dollar for them in campaigning. Oh no, and their infrastructure is already paid for, so their margin's huge. I mean, I imagine it's been there for what twenty years or more. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they yeah. they got nothing. They've got nothing to lose. But it's interesting well, that they're willing to these these are small towns, right? These are not. This is not. A thousand people. This is not fifteen hundred people. This is six hundred homes um, that they are willing to go to this level of campaign, um, this level of expenditure, this level of campaign um, <coughs> to 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 defeat. Right. I think you're an experiment. I mean, Maine is yeah. usually ignored by much of the rest of the of the country. I think that that they are viewing you as an experiment of how to stop this. And they're learning from you to then campaign in Michigan, in uh, in California. You know, like that. I think is what is happening here. Right. Uh, and they are doing what Krista said, right? They are saying, "Look what happened in Southport. The people wised up, and they voted this down." You know, it only. It doesn't matter, right? But it only lost by twenty votes. So, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, autopsy that you can do on this. But the autopsy is important, right? Because what we can learn from ones that fail help us with the next community to figure out how to how to get those last twenty votes. This now, which we we haven't done before, we know now we're in a campaign. We're in. This is a campaign to get this stuff passed in your community. We know we're going to have opposition. So we it, it just makes us sharpen our tools. And, and the communities that I've talked to um, who are going this route are like, it's a wake-up call for us. We're going to really double down harder on what we're doing, on how our long, or to have bigger conversations with our community. And really, we are going to be prepared for this. To some of them, even, we're going to put money aside, and we're going to do flyers, too. So let's let's talk know. about that in a second. Sorry, Andrew. I just want to say uh, you know a couple of things. One is the end has a good question here. There's no code of ethics for Charter Spectrum. They are governed by Wall Street, and they are expected to crush any potential competition to secure their um, uh, their market share. Um, this is uh, frankly child's play in some ways to what we've seen them do elsewhere. Uh, where um, uh, some of the stuff that they've done in the the charter had done in the early 2000s, stuff that we see them saw them do in Monticello, Minnesota, in the late aughts. Um, you know, charter can actually get nastier than this um, in, in some ways, uh, and it's not charter alone. Like AT and T does this, Comcast has done it. I don't think they've done it as recently, um, but um, but I, I wanted and my, Andrew. I know you really want to respond. Let me go to you quick, but I want to I want to come back to this for a second. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be really quick. I know time is running tight. Uh, yeah, I just, it's always easier to break things down than to build them up. Yeah. And um, that's really unfortunate because what it also does is it, it fuels this polarization um, and, you know, strong issue advocates gearing up for a full-on campaign on both ends. And the reality of it is that we don't have to be in that situation right now, right? Like 
we just announced a $150 million all-in capital projects funded strategy that embraces a range of different models, including a significant chunk for a proactive line extension program that we're hoping will be one of the most unique in the country that establishes a clarity of partnership with existing providers. Um, so like we're going to have to work together um, with charter in some capacity or another. And what I've tried to emphasize is that like the more time that we're talking about the BS of AQB, the less time we're actually mapping out a program designed to actually get the money to do the work that folks are already wanting and needing anyway. So it's, it's just really unfortunate in how it feels that polarization. And that is very much, you know, I think it is a little bit of the state's role to help mediate what doesn't, what, what, you know, what doesn't need to be a food fight, right? What we need no. to, you know, quote Peggy's favorite uh, musical artist, Vanilla Ice, what we really need to do is to be able to stop, collaborate, and listen. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, I do want to note that some of this is like psychological um, in that uh, two examples that influenced me when I was getting into this uh, and then working through the first referendum I kind of was involved with um, in Wyndham, Minnesota, they had a referendum back in like 2003 to build a fiber network or maybe it was 1999, but it was, it was back before some of the people who are watching this were born possibly. <laughs> and it, um, it failed because uh, the big television phone company, which is now CenturyLink, but it was a different company then, um, uh, had told everyone, we're going to do a big upgrade. Don't worry about it. You know, you don't have to do anything. And and then the, the referendum happened. It failed. And, and so I was like, oh, you know what? We forgot. Uh, we're going to put our money elsewhere. Um, and people came back to it. Right. And, and, and they just and they voted again a few years later. Uh, it doesn't happen immediately. Um, but it's psychological in that you have to be willing to get back on your horse after you. This is a hard loss. And we saw this in Longmont, Colorado as well in 2009. And there it was Comcast and, and CenturyLink who put a lot of money in. At that point, they put more money into a local election than it had ever been spent in a local election in the history of Colorado. Um, and then um, what happened was people voted and they over the next several days and weeks, they talked to their neighbors and like, wait, what did we vote on? Like, why did what like what was that all about and well i think i voted wrong and and their pressure mounted to have another vote and people were better informed and at that point comcast and at&t did actually double the amount they put into it and they lost <laughs> because people were, were better informed at that point. And then and folks ran the campaign right in Fort Collins. They they had like fifteen thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars on the grassroots side and almost a million dollars on the other side. And they got sixty two percent of the vote or something like that in, in Fort Collins. So what, what you're saying, Peggy, is exactly right. But people need to like understand this is a fight and you're going to get kicked in the teeth sometimes. But you do have to get back up. Well, the, and for the. I mean, I don't think Southport's out, right? I don't think they're out. Um, we actually haven't withdrawn that grant. We have not. Um, and they are, um, you know, they're licking their wounds a little bit and they're getting back on the, they're getting back, right? They're, this community, the bribing committee is still, they are analyzing what went wrong and what they can do better. And they will be back and they will be back to try to, to, to do this work because they know the importance of fiber to that community. Um, and I think that that's, you know, we have, um, I counted up last night that we have, I think we've had, we've had five communities build out fiber. They're lit right now. We have another 11 or 12 that we have provided some form of grant to that are going to be building in the next couple of years. And that track record of success 
is going to keep going. We see this, right? We have places in the western part of the state that are very interested in this. We have uh, places in sort of this little corner of Maine called Wallow County that are very interested in this. And the thing about people in Maine communities is they're all they're all very smart. I mean, it's not, you know, everybody sort of paints people who live in rural Maine and maybe not so much, but these are very talented people. Um, and they are very committed to their communities. And that's, I think, the piece for us, for the, for the state, is we want to make sure every tool is on the table so the community can make decision about what is the right tool for them. Some, some, many communities say, we don't want to own this stuff. We will help you build it. We will help finance it. But we really don't want to own it. And that's fine. But for us, it really needs to be a community decision that is then supported as we go forward. And I, that's what we're trying to do in Maine. We're trying to keep all the options on the table. And I think Krista's point, this is not everybody. I mean, we have a lot of our small providers are very interested in this business model, very interested in this business model because it's, it's an alternative way for them to finance stuff. It's, it looks differently on their books and they like it. Um, and so we have, we have small internet service providers in Maine who are actively pursuing this kind of community partnership. We have a couple of really good questions in the chat. I do want to get to them. Um, I want to uh, ask Travis if you have any questions now about all of this. Mm, no, Krista, who is your partner up there? What was their name? In You mean uh, this community of Southport, the yeah. ISP was Axiom? So I, I'm, I'm maybe I'm confused on all this, but is the idea that potentially Axiom could borrow money from Andrew and a senior lender to still overbuild the fiber in the community if they wanted to, even if this vote was not approved? I mean, per, oh, go ahead. I well, think that no. they, the, the town also can go back. They can the, revote. They, they can, they can revote. And, you know, it's also, it's, um, uh, we're also not in the, I want to manage uh, listeners' expectations. The Connectivity Authority right now doesn't have a revolving loan fund available for them. We okay. want to get there. We want, we do not at the moment. And I don't want to say- I was just curious how it yeah. works. Yeah, I don't want to speak for Southport. I know that they, they want to take their time, yeah, just being strategic about how they move forward. Um, and they're just having a lot of conversations within the community right now. Um, somebody asked in the chat, um, about the select person that spread disinformation. I just wanted to correct. There was no uh, disinformation spread from the from the select board. There was a community member who started the petition and did a lot of kind of um, some, some, some dividing, but uh, the select board was trying to knit their community back together through this, really. Right. I mean, no. I, I can say, I'll just say this quick, Andrew. One of the things that we see, unfortunately, the internet works is someone says, well, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of sketchy about this. I'm going to do some quick research and they jump on the internet and they can like get into a very path dependent series where they see a couple of articles by some people that we all know are false, full of lies or just confusion. And then they can find a whole bunch of supporting material around that, the whole ecosystem that's been created by these companies. And they may never break out of it to hear the other side. And, and so it's not just a matter of like, of, of assuming that a person that's opposing this project in Southport, you know, might be um, evil. Uh, 
uh, or deliberately lying. Uh, one of the things that these companies have done well is to create the appearance of controversy, the appearance that like that that municipal networks and community networks struggle all the time, when in fact uh, it's only a minority of them that that do. And so um, it's just important to understand that. And like it's very hard when you're new to this to separate out credible research from not credible. And in part because our universities have been complicit in some of this, right? Like our universities harbor some people that are doing pay for hire. And this is true across a variety of industries. Um, and, and similarly, you know, it's not even like you can be like, oh, it's Republicans are bad, Democrats are good, or vice versa. Um, you know, Comcast is run by Democrats for the most part, right? AT&T is run by Republicans for the most part. Like, you know, and like it's Democrats that are often running these dumb campaigns uh, to try to stop the municipalities from having any choice. So, um, you know, it's a it's a real mix out there and it's much muddier than than you might want to think when you're when you're digging into it. So, um, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly the point I was just going to emphasize. And there and, and Krista, maybe you can share the, the blog from, you know, a, a resident who's been really engaged in, um, you know, the evaluation of creating one of the new, you know, community driven regional scale, you know, utility districts. Um, who recently published a, a blog on the Broadband Coalition, really calling to action around, you know, civility and sort of the listening to be heard. And I think what, again, is most problematic is that, you know, like this is a formative effort that requires a commitment by volunteers, you know, a participation by local government, engagement with private sector, right? Like, that's the recipe that constitutes a big part of the main model. And we've collectively embraced it and been investing in it and trying to build it. And to fuel the polarization um, just breaks that down and it forces us into the collective camps of like, well, uh, this is good and that's bad. When the reality of it is that, you know, like one, that's not true and it's never that simple. And two, we actually really don't have to make those false choices, right? Like, we are putting together a strategy and we have the resources now to put together the whole range of solutions, right? And, you know, I think that's that's the biggest problem. And I think that's even more why it's a good time for the communities and providers in the state to be able to, to be on board and support the broadband coalition, which really is an existing network in place for those entities to come together and have hard conversations, learn from each other, and evaluate the options that are available. And, and this is par for the course. It is unfair, but it is also not the first time. I mean, a lot of these big monopolies are using the playbook that was developed during electrification. Electrification wasn't all like, hey, let's do co-ops. Cool. Co-ops are cool. Let's all do it. Like it was, uh, there was, there was uh, academic sellouts then who published articles about how all co-ops were going to fail. And, uh, and it was crazy town to be thinking otherwise. So, um, you know, this is, it is unfair, but like, uh, no one should be under the impression this will be easy. Um, you know, I, I, in some ways I, um, I really, I really salute folks like Paige Clayson who, uh, were involved in that and then stayed involved afterward to try to help others out because he knew how difficult it was, uh, getting through it to bring, uh, the connection to Islesboro. Um, so, and that's um, a great point, Chris. I'm glad you mentioned because I what um, I think might have had one of the lessons learned from Southport is that um, there was so much openness and transparency and communication leading up to the May 2021 vote to pass the project, and then it's committees have worked so hard. It's so easy to kind of sit sit back and be like, okay, the town has this obligation to figure out a contract with an ISP, and we're going to step back and 
you know, enjoy our grandkids for a bit. Um, communication kind of stopped. And in that year, there was just, there was fertile ground for people in the town to be questioning what the town had just done. And, um, and really it was, it was a year after that original positive vote that the vote to overturn it happened. Um, and there hadn't been a lot of communication and outreach and education happening during that time. I mean, I think that's the perfect time for a community to just dive into digital equity and, you know, hold, hold literacy classes, talk about how to save money on your TV streaming. Um, that could have potentially gone a long way in Southport. So kind of a, a message to others who are, who are, you don't you don't get a finish line in this work. Um, take breaks, but you don't get a finish line. I hadn't heard that line before. I love that. I'm going to use that totally. You don't get a finish line in this work. I feel it. <laughs> um, we have a we have a question here that goes back to um, uh, Andrew. We're talking about uh, partnerships and a line extension program, and um, you know I'm. Uh, I'm certainly very curious about this. I've been, um, I think there's areas where a line extension program makes sense, but I'm um, in Minnesota, I think it's way overly broad and has not been implemented in an intelligent way. Um, but I'm curious if you have any response to, and for people who are listening on their run, I should say the question is what the proposed partnership with providers in Maine, um, what it will do, uh, how it will be crafted in a way that keep the providers true to their word and on a reasonable timeline. Yeah, a, a, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was on a run listening to the show, and uh, it was literally the day after we had had a team meeting and talking through some, some basic design principles for a line extension program. And I think you said something to the effect of like, whoever tries to build out a line extension program is an idiot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, it, it gave me it gave Sometimes me I'm too certain. <laughs> um, and so, look, I mean, the, the, our objective is to get affordable, reliable internet to everyone as quick as possible. And, you know, the, the truth is also our, you know, our, our governor has made a bold commitment and, you know, bold things don't happen if you don't say it out loud and she said it out loud. And so we, we, we have a lot of work to do in a short period of time. Um, and a lot of premises will be served by being intentional about going to places that has not been uh, affordable. So we, you know, we built out a really um, robust data intelligence platform. Peggy's talked about it in the past, happy to talk more about it, but it does allow us to get very granular. It's using the cost quest data, the, the fabric that FCC is, we can look at the locations and understand, you know, where would it make sense to create an incentive and map that out in direct negotiation in a batch way with service providers. And so, you know, we're at the early stages of designing that. We're engaging partners so that we can get their feedback. Um, but we want to clip off a significant amount of unserved premises in Maine. It's going to be through a line extension program. Yeah. And I think Travis, I'd like to get your, your thoughts on this. Cause I mean, I feel like you can imagine two different scenarios. One where you have uh, a decent network that is doing a, a good job and you have five homes nearby um, and everyone else is fairly well served. Um, you're probably not gonna incent a whole new network to come to town uh, on the basis of that. Uh, on the other hand, you've got an area where you've got an existing network, may not be doing a great job, 20% of the nearby homes are unserved. In my mind, that's a great opportunity to figure out how to like try and spur the kind of investment that's that's needed in there. But I don't think like, that's just me thinking about it without having run an ISP yet. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I my position's kind of been the same all along. That um, 
it is not difficult to compete against most of the incumbents that are out there. This is this is really just an access to capital exercise. So, you know, in your in your example, you know, if we have five unserved customers and we're going to go get them. Right. But that's not the attitude for everybody. That's because you're not engaged in a 10 billion dollar stock buyback program, Travis, which well, you've got is much. not charter, but no, well, yeah, it's big yeah. on Comcast. You know, it, it uh, you know, it, it just comes down to, you know, what is your, what, how, how, are, how does your capital stack work? And that's why I keep going back to this. And I guess, sorry, Andrew, I keep going back to this whole thing that I think you guys might be onto something genius. If you guys get that far, you know, where, where you can actually empower these smaller local providers to provide a high quality solution and help solve that capital issue. Cause otherwise here's the reality. The big guys are going to win every time because mm -hmm. they just have simply more money and resources they can allocate towards it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a cold, dark, sad day in February when we got the determination from the department of treasury that um, eligible uses for American rescue plans were not provided for revolving loan funds. Yeah. Um, but that's why we will build we will build that out. And quite frankly, it's that diversity of capital stack that is one of the core reasons why the connectivity authority exists. And in part, not just to enable that kind of model, um, but to enable an ongoing level of support and investment in the infrastructure. Because you know what, like you don't build a road and call it done. Um, and our demand on the infrastructure is only increasing. And so somebody with an eye towards public benefit needs to be at the table in an ongoing way. And that's very much part of the design of the authority. Well, and here's the reality of what's going on in the private equity market is private equity is starting to develop loan programs to entice these smaller ISPs with the whole idea of rolling them all up. So if you're a small, you know, these small communities, I, I, I don't know if they always appreciate how important it is to have high quality broadband. The vast majority of Americans that are looking to move somewhere, it is the number one question they ask. Yeah. I mean, I won't move anywhere unless there's, you know, some sort of high quality fiber connection. You'll just go to the next community. So these small communities of 600 people, I mean, they really have to understand that, that, that people aren't flocking there unless they have the facilities that people want. And if they do, they will. But I think the frustration is that some of the folks do get it. Some of the folks don't get it. And, and that's well, what really the, the problem is, is the, you know, it's also a, you and I have talked about this. People have a demand. Not everybody has the same demand for broadband. We all have the same demand for broadband, sewer, electricity, you know, that's pretty much universal, but you know, I'll just tell you the younger generation coming up, they're not going to move to your community unless they can be connected. Right. I mean, Chris has always had this line is that broadband should be like electricity, right? You play, it doesn't, yeah. nobody asks how many toasters you have. Nobody asks, you know, you have to shift your, which toaster you use when, or whether you can, yeah. use, it's just always on. And you get as, you know, nobody, there's no, no regulator on your water. You take as long a shower as you want to. Mm -hmm. And broadband should be the same way. It, what, what you need should be there when you need it. And that really requires, it, it requires a high speed fiber connection. It really does. Yeah. And there, there's a huge opportunity for smaller companies to get into this game. And my worry is what'll happen is, is private equity will fund these small providers. And when they, and when they get big enough and harvest enough of an area, they'll, they'll write them a check and roll them all up into a big deal. And then the community loses everything. Well, and one of the things that, you know, we, one of the things that 
that we get that uh, this axiom technologies gets pushback on is like, who are you, right? You're a small little company. How do we know you're not going to go bankrupt? And, you know, I got to say, Mark has been dealing with that for a long time. Mark has been here for 17 years, right? Axiom Technologies has been in name for 17 yeah. years. And his answer is, listen, what do you think is going to happen to Spectrum in the next five years, right? Their customers is going down like this. You know, uh, CCI, when, when they, they bought out the local telephone company called Fairpoint, which went bankrupt. Same time Burlington Fiber did, by the way. They went bankrupt. So it's not, mm. it's not like these big companies are like perfectly solvent and you know you know exactly what you're gonna get and that's what you're gonna get forever. It, nothing is permanent in this space. And so the the idea that the big company is better than the small company is also a false pretense that they oh. that they try to sell. A thousand percent. And this is why Chris, Chris and I have had the conversation hundreds of times that if we just encourage them to install fiber, the next the next operator that comes behind them will will be able to continue with the good foundation. Yeah, I was just thinking it's a tale of two bankruptcies. It's an interesting story up there where, you know, the folks in Burlington, I think they're frustrated that it's now privately owned, but uh, still providing high quality service. It still has a lot of those Burlington values in it, uh, much more so than others. And um, uh, they have that connection. Uh, whereas the, uh, you know, the all the folks that are still served by slow DSL or, or poorly served, I know Consolidated has really turned around a lot and is doing public-private partnerships, but still there's a whole lot of people out in that area that were i think left behind by companies that aren't rooted in the community um in the same way um and i it's, it's a it's a hobby horse of mine is that government needs to be less afraid of failing and uh and i think this comes from the federal government i'm not blaming the state of maine but like like travis just said to be very clear to people if you put out um, a, a company that um, if you loan a company money and they build a fiber network and they don't totally screw that up, which is an important proviso, um, and they go bankrupt, you haven't lost everything. You actually have this remarkable asset that someone will continue to grow on and you will hit a lot of those goals of, of getting people connected. And let me just argue one final point that if you build a high quality network and you do high quality customer service, there's virtually a 0% chance you're going out of business. The demand for this in every community I've seen, you'll get 50% of the market after three years. That is a very bankable and a very easy to pay, to pay off any debt that you attach to it. So, you know, do not be afraid of this. And if you've if you've done the work that and we're going to wrap up here in a, in a second. Um, so if anyone has concluding thoughts, now is the time to be getting ready to shout them out. But um, but if you do the work that Krista and Peggy particularly were describing that these communities have done in education rates, I think you're looking at 60 percent in year one or two. You know, like you're looking at like stunning take rates if you do that that work up front to build that trust in the enthusiasm. And this is I mean, I wouldn't have said that five years ago because we weren't seeing that in the numbers five years ago. We are seeing that now. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Chris, I guess the one thing I would just say is that I, I think that we are seeing that success with our local providers and we are seeing actually the big providers, you know, Consolidated being one of them, yeah. uh, Otelco being another, recognize the key to that and recognize that, you know what, we actually do need to sit at the table and listen to be heard, right? And, and, and I think maybe one of the reasons why the main model has been successful is that like, yeah, we're end of the road. Like, we live in a big place without a lot of humans, and broadband is really important for us all to be here. And the reality is that people in Maine really want to be here because it's an amazing place. And so I think the key is that, like, if you want to live where you love, you need the ability to work and be there. 
Um, and in order to do that, we need this healthy and effective ecosystem, right? Which is again, to the, one of the key points around AQB is like, that does not help, right? Like that is not helping. And, you know, I'm, I'm not an economist, but we can't perpetuate a monopolistic model and expect a healthy ecosystem. Um, and so it is our job to help facilitate a diverse and healthy ecosystem. And I think that you're seeing that engagement enable people pushing back. Yeah. And I'll piggyback on that, Andrew, that um, AQB wasn't formed in the same way that Maine Broadband Coalition was. You know that, you know, it's, it's not a healthy ecosystem. And the fact that we do have, um, I'm going to go back to Travis, thanks for mentioning the youth. Um, Maine Youth Action Network just today was invited to join the the Maine Broadband Coalition and um, and just having that you know I think Dirigo is Maine's motto I lead and we hope that um, states around the country will consider kind of bringing bringing youth engagement to like the head of the table um, or at least like somewhere really close to the head of the table um, when it comes to this issue because that's who we're talking about my my one year old you know and and what's he going to have access to. Absolutely. Peggy, yeah, I, mean, I, I think good. This, this is um this is really about talking to your neighbors, right? And it is and that is about that is really what local government is about. It's about your community coming together to 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 jointly solve problems that make your community better. And broadband is one of those problems and one of those opportunities. And you know, Maine is going to continue to support that kind of activity. Because we know it's important not just for you know our economic future, it's also important for our community culture, right? It's important that people work together to solve solvable problems. And broadband is a solvable problem. Yeah, we'll be arguing about education policy and uh, and uh, how we deal with the criminal justice system forever. But uh, broadband is something that in 50 years, people will be shocked that we are having these kinds right. of discussions. Uh, I feel like there's a bet in here regarding the next time that Peggy comes on, what the over under <laughs> is on the number of f bombs she drops. <laughs> You've been talking to Jeff Searle from Treasury, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> Peggy is. It has been. It has been wonderful. Uh, I want to. I want to celebrate. Um, you know your work one more time, uh, and and you are absolutely welcome. I know that you're planning on retiring uh, from this this position, but you are planning to remain active in the effort to make sure that Maine is well connected. So I look yeah, forward to I, engaging know, with you there. We all have passions in life, right? And I, I believe in community voices. I have believed in it for a long time. I believed in community organizing, um, and. I want to see this problem solved, right? It's hard to leave in the middle of this. I know I'm leaving in unbelievably great hands and that the path forward is, you know, it's not like totally not littered, but it's pretty, we got a pretty good highway we're building here. And, you know, the federal funds have been a godsend for us and for other states. And I know Maine is going to do it right. Um, but I'm not, I'm not totally out. I have to figure out what that means, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I need at least... I need at least a couple of weeks, right? I haven't taken a vacation in three years, so I just need a, a little time to breathe, right? <laughs> I know you planted your garden a month or two ago when we were chatting, so have, you got to take yes, care of that. I have a lot of weedings that, that can happen. So. Um, Travis, I got. I want to. I'll end with you in a second, but I just want to say, Andrew, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck in, in talking this morning with uh, with uh, Greg Conti. I just, it's a, it's a reminder that you have a tremendous amount of work, and I, and I, I've told people like I feel like at the end of the day, um, you know, in five years, 
I feel like one can look back and and you're gonna have some some folks you gave money to in Maine that didn't perform, and you're gonna have some folks you gave money to that just really knocked it out of the park. And and I hope people will understand that the goal right now is not for Maine to do a hundred percent success. The goal for Maine is to make sure that you can rapidly get this money out there have it do a lot of good and that, yeah, some places are going to screw up, but like it's smarter to be moving forward boldly than it is to try to hope that um, we don't misuse a single dollar. So that may not be your attitude. That may not be what you tell your staff, but that's what I think. <laughs> a little bit of both, a little bit of both, but I appreciate the call to action. I, I do. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited. I know, I know you've done uh, great work over the years in Maine. So um, thank you so much for that. Um, uh, and Krista, as like I said, I, I really admire the work that you've done at the Island Institute. Um, Travis, uh, any closing thoughts? No, well done all. Well done all. Enjoy your uh, retirement, Peggy. Enjoy well our five ninety nine uh, lobsters off the boat, right? Yeah, you know, I, I'm envious of you. The, I, I, I'll be curious to find out what you decide to do because that's the big question I have is I don't know what I do every day, you know, other than harass Chris. So yeah, That is a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, as long as you're harassing me over a pinball machine with something with bar with uh, buffalo wings, sauce, wings, I'm good with wings. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, wings. But also, we, I mean, Andrew says that he thinks that uh, it's not crazy to put some buffalo sauce on on well, lobsters. You know, we're, what are we double for nothing right now? That's still the bet. Yeah, but I'm definitely going to win. Obviously, oh, the FCC couldn't possibly not raise this. Price. It'll be twenty-five-three in, into twenty-thirty. So. <laughs> Chris, I think there's a really good opportunity for you guys to do a show in Maine um, and to put some like some real bet on some some real like proper bets on the line. Like I know you said you don't like oysters, so it feels like a good opportunity to get to get a little more familiar with oysters. I'm in. I agree. No, I just um, uh, I very much want. To, if I did not have a six year old son, I would spend a lot of time driving across the country with Travis. Um, it probably. Um, uh, well, I, I, I've never been to Maine, actually. That's no, we talk, yeah, we're going to do a loop oh, at some oh, point. Yeah, that, that's how my things for six-year-olds to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I understand. And actually, like he's six, and so like I always tell my wife, I'm like, we just pull him out of school for a while, and she's like, no, and I'm like, what's he gonna miss? Come you on. Know, you know, our governor, our Angus King, when he was governor, when he stepped out, he did a very smart thing. He took his kids out of school. He bought a huge RV and he drove across the country. And he did, you know, online learning and, um, and he and his wife are really smart, so they could teach the kids a lot of stuff. But that's what he did for a year. And it was a combination of, of life experiences and schooling and it worked. So I believe it. Yeah. Come on, Chris, hit the road. Are you inviting my six-year-old in your uh, into your uh, RV? Well, I'm going with you guys. That's a little uh, a little close. Huh? How big is that RV? Yeah, big. it's big. Yeah, it's fun. No, we're uh, we're we're gonna tour fiber uh, rural fiber people uh, companies this this trip. I'm gonna actually set it up and go see go see the good work people are doing across the country. Yep. Well, if you come to Maine, I would recommend if you're going to come in an RV to come in in the spring, summer, or early fall. Do not like be coming here in the winter in an RV. Well, when is lobster season? Is it all the time or more or less? Okay, just this time of year. All this right, well that's that's when we'll go. All right. I don't know something about traveling with Chris. I don't know what do you guys think. So should be should be a part. We can argue the whole way, huh? How fast can you drive, right? So I <laughs> not that fast. <laughs> yeah, you you wanna you wanna travel with me in a way that you can get me outside and away from other people periodically. Yeah, yeah, well, um, Maine is very good for that. Maine's very good for right. that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Chris will uh, argue policies from the 1700s that I have no idea what he's talking about. So yeah, but neither do I. That's what makes it fun. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're making it all up now. Finally, I know, right? Uh, next week we have uh, Doug and Kim back, and uh, boy, Doug's been writing a ton. I, if you haven't been checking out his blog, Pots and Pans by CCG, uh, he's been he's been doing a great job. So he's had a uh, role lately. Good stuff. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah. And we're closing on episode 50, uh, which is, uh, that's just fascinating. So, um, thank you all for watching. If you're a first time, um, this is kind of normally how it goes. So if you liked it, I hope you come back. And if you don't tell people you don't like that, they should watch it. And, uh, <laughs> we'll see you all next week for another episode of connect this. Mm -hmm.